This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 11 with Tim Robertson and David Cohen. Now we're talking about that kind of stuff. CES, uh, Mac App Store, and Macworld Expo. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Robertson, host of Tech Fan, and the other host of Tech Fan is David Cohen. Hi everyone. Hello. Happy New Year to everybody. To you as well. I mean, uh, 2011. When did you start podcasting? Was it 2007? Uh, maybe late 2006. Yeah. So this I start dabbling. Probably you're probably approaching your uh, five year mark in podcasting at this point. I've I've been a bit intermittent. Um, so it's not it's not continuous but but yeah it's uh it gets more enjoyable the more i do it does it really yeah it does i i i kind of you know obviously last couple of weeks we've uh you know with schedules and that sort of thing and the holidays not been able to do it and i do kind of miss it yeah just being able to get things off my chest you know of course obviously i didn't do a show last week um it was it was just crazy last week so I thought instead of trying to force a show out when it just was didn't feel it, you know what I mean? I thought we'll just take yeah. another week. It's it's that time of the year where it's okay to skip a week here and there. So, but hopefully that'll be the last you know two week break between shows that we'll we'll do in a while. Although you were on number twelve, although in pre recorded format, which pre recorded and somewhat adjusted format. <laughs> you know, here's I the funny. Play- Go ahead. I was going to say, I played that back to my wife. She was killing herself with laughter. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but Chad Perry, who was here when we were editing that together, because we actually edited that show after we did uh, Geekiest Show Ever, and a lot of yeah. that was his idea. And yeah. <laughs> so we were literally falling over each other laughing so hard as I was editing it yeah. together. And he says it sounds like a gay love letter. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but no. you're not gay. Yeah. No. The uh, not not that I like to admit to anyway. The, uh, the 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 problem the problem I had is that I was stuck in a hotel room on an iPad. Um, I I just discovered at that point I kind of assumed that with a that there would be an app on the app store somewhere that would allow me to do some post production on a recording like that. I assumed there'd be something that would be like uh, GarageBand Lite or something you could get for the iPad that would let me uh, put a bit of music in and kind of pep it up a bit. Uh, and I found there was nothing. So it was literally a case of, well, either I don't do it at all or I do it and it's just a naked recording straight to the iPad. And obviously when you're sat in a hotel room on your own, it's difficult to build the right sort of energy. Um, and obviously that, that was something that I think Chad picked up on in terms of his uh, his recommendations for how you might want to treat particularly <laughs> the beginning before i got into my uh, got into my flow so uh, but it was it was very amusing i hope the listeners got a kick out of it anyway and of course if someone's listening they and you hadn't listened to that yet go back and listen to show 12 i think you'll get a kick out of it comes in like in 12 13 minutes into the show uh, but it was fun to do so at the beginning yeah. of this episode um we got this little Diddy that we play at the beginning of all the new my did I forward that to you the little audio? Don't know if I did or uh, not. I'm not sure. No, I don't think you did. Well, it's this little. You're listening to the MyMac Podcasting Network, so we're going to put that in front of all the shows that we produce now, and kind of you know building more of a cohesive whole, if you will, David. So when mm-hmm. you're listening to a show, you know immediately if this falls under the MyMac umbrella. And, uh, of course, we've got five shows, including this one, the MyMac Show, um, Pocket Size Podcast, Geekiest Show Ever, and the appropriate named At Minute. So each one of those shows is going to have that little jingle. And if anybody out there is considering starting up a podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to uh, possibly produce your show for you. So just send an email to tim at mymac.com if you're interested in podcasting and we can discuss. So, David, CES is ongoing right now as we record the show. Obviously, we're not in Las Vegas. Um, no. You know, here's the thing. I, 
We'll get to Macworld in a minute, which I am going to and I am looking forward to. But I've never had any regretful feelings about not attending CES. No, I, I, I mean, CES is a peculiar show because it gets so much coverage, and yet it is a trade show. It's not a – even though it's, the name is Consumer Electronics Show, it's about the trade showing what it's planning to sell to consumers over the next 12 months. So it's very much – it's an industry event, and it's not really a, uh, a, con, you know, a user event – and yet, it, get, it nowadays, in particular, it gets all of this coverage, and um, I, I find it very difficult to follow CES because the, you read a, a whole bunch of news stories about a whole load of different products and everything, and you you never know uh, which of them are real and which of them aren't. You know, which of them are going to ship at the time that the uh, manufacturer says, which of them going to ship in the form that the manufacturer says in terms of cost, in terms of features, in terms of capability. Um, and there's, there's obviously there's so much stuff coming out there and everyone's trying to get their keynotes where they're trying to set their position for the year. It's a real mess. It's very, very uncohesive. I, I agree. It's, it's, yeah, it's very difficult to kind of really understand um, what, you, what you get out of being there and what you get out of following it, really. I mean, look at what happened last year. Last year it was all e-readers, e-readers, e-readers. And I think probably of all the products that were shown last year, there's some that are being shown again. They're still not ready to ship this year. And then probably 90 95% of them have just disappeared without a trace. Well, if you go back so, one year, remember Microsoft had their keynote and it was all about tablets. Tablets, tablets, tablets. Here's the HP tablet, which, oh, by the way, never shipped. Here, you know, and Microsoft has all these agreements and partnerships they're talking about on stage. Bomber made tablets pretty much the big thing for them, right? Yeah. Well, how many Windows 7 tablets are there out there right now? Well, a very small number. Probably count them on the fingers of one hand. And, and then you look the at the plans that are coming out, the companies that are actually coming out, they're OEM partners like HP, and they may be yeah. offering one at the most of the Windows 7 tablets, but the rest of them are all Android, or in the case of HP, because they bought Palm, the Web OS. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I think CS is is really is a very it's an interesting contrast with MacWorld because most most companies who go to MacWorld tend to be uh, focused on one or two products. Even if they have a wide portfolio of products, there's normally one or two things that they are pushing forward for this particular year and those are the things they tend to try and get in the press at Matt world and apple when they used to go obviously had a a keynote address where they would normally launch one or two products and it was very very focused and consequently you know every mac world always has a kind of a theme it kind of has the thing that that's being talked about and and the things that that, that companies want to promote whereas cs is kind of all over the map, and what you get, what you've had this year is you've had uh, using Microsoft as an example, as you mentioned them, you've had them issue a keynote where basically they haven't really said anything at all. You know, everything they've said is so generic and vague that it's very difficult to understand whether there's any real direction coming from them at all, or whether it's just they had a slot for a keynote and this was the best they could come up with to fill it. So you know, it, it is it's so disjointed and it's so um, there's so much um, unreality about it. I find it very very disappointing. Really, the other it big, must be hell to be there. Oh, I that's why I don't ever regret not going. I what would I cover? Where would I go? I don't know. But last year, yeah. of course, remember, like you said, it was the e-readers, it was the tablets, and the other big thing was the 3D TVs. Remember, that's all everyone yeah. talked about. Well, what's come of that? Yeah. A couple sets that are 3D that I don't know anybody who has even an inkling of wanting to buy one. It's I'm seeing now that some movies are coming out that is 3D, but you can only watch it on the new Panasonic 3D player. Yeah. It's like, really, we're <laughs> going to segment the market even more where, oh, no, I know you have a, th- a 3D TV from Sony, but, oh, no, I'm sorry, our, our 3D Blu-ray won't work on the Sony. You've got to have the Panasonic. Really? Did, did you learn that, nothing from Betamax? Nothing? Yeah. That, that, well, nothing from HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Well, That was another format war where if you, if you had the wrong manufacturer who uh, pinned the wrong horse, lots of people bought HD, DVD players for, for their Xboxes. 
and and now those things you know go for about five dollars on eBay because there's no content for them. That's right. I I, I think this is this this kind of exemplifies what's really wrong in certain parts of the tech industry, which is that you know everyone assumes that you can just launch a product that's got some cool tick boxes on the on the features list, and everything else will happen by default. And it doesn't. You need to have the whole ecosystem. You need to have the content lined up. You need to have the partners lined up. You need to have the sales channel lined up. And all of that needs to be in place if you want to really have a successful product. Otherwise, you're kind of shooting in the dark and you're hoping that your product will be one of the 5% that actually is successful. Well, you know, you look at all these tablets coming out now, all the iPad competitors, and they all look like the iPad in different sizes for I've seen them from four inches to seven up to 11 inches and you know it looks like the iPad and that's about it you know they it seems to me that they just don't get why the iPad is a success it's not the form factor I mean you know that you start with that but that's just one tiny little and the thing about the form factor is that the I in my view the things they miss when they're trying to match the iPod, iPad hardware, are the things that are most important to people. They miss the user interface. Yep. They kind of shoehorn whatever's available. Whichever flavor of Android Google um, will supply them with this week is the one that they put on. Um, so the, the interface is not consistent. The software is not consistent because, again, you've got that diversity of different platforms. You've got Windows 7. You've got uh, Android, you know, several different flavors of Android. You've got WebOS. You've got the whatever BlackBerry are working on. Um, and then the, the marketplace, the way that applications and, and stuff gets positioned to the users is different for all of those different platforms. Yep. And so all of those things are all competing with each other and they're all taking bits out of each other. And at the same time, the manufacturers are, are worried about size and capacity and ports and that sort of thing. And the one thing none of them are talking about is price and battery life, which are the two things that I think are what makes the iPad successful, is that it's affordable. Yes, it's a premium product. It's expensive um, compared to you know a $200 or $300 Android tablet. But the thing is you get quality for that price and you also get a stellar battery life. And none of these other products can approach the iPad for battery life. They can't do a 10 or 12 hours. They're all four, five, six hours, depending on what you're doing with them. And, and the, the thing for me that I get the most about my iPad is that I know that if it's got more than 70% charge at the beginning of a day, I can use it all day as much as I want, and it won't go flat. And, there, and, and there's to something me, to be said you know, for that too, yeah. Well, look, that thing, the, as soon as the thing is flat... Um, it's a paperweight until you charge it again, and if you and it, it's a mobile device. Yeah. So you you know nobody with a mobile device wants to be walking around with a charger looking for a PowerPoint and then staying in the same place for an hour while they recharge the thing. You know, at that point, it's not a mobile device. It's plugged into a wall. It becomes part of the building. So <laughs> to me, you know, that is one of the key things. And all of these guys, are, you know, when you ask them about battery life, they're very non-committal because either things aren't finished or alternatively they know it's not very good, so they don't want to promote it. Well, you know, a lot of that has to do with that Apple controls manufacturing from start to finish, obviously, but they also control all the power consumption controls, i.e. software. And it makes a huge difference. And these other companies like Samsung and HP and whoever's making a tablet, well, let's take HP out of that because they do own the software. And I personally think that's the only one that really has a chance to really make some inroads if they do it right. Um, They're just like you said, taking any variant of Android 2.1, 2.2. Some of them are saying they're going to hold out for 3.0. Uh, but they still don't really control the software. And no. for the iPad, the software is made for that hardware platform. Yeah. It knows exactly the hardware it's going to run on. And Apple is continuously updating it. Continuously. Yeah. I mean, how many? we've had our iPads now for, what, eight, nine months? It's been updated yeah. software-wise, what, three times? I yeah. mean, and, and it gets better as time goes on. And a lot of people are, are now speculating what the iPad 2 is going to be. You know what, David? I'll be honest. I don't even care. The iPad, as it is right now, is so great. I don't even care what the next one's going to be. A couple of people have, have actually asked me about that, you know, when I'll be interested in, in the iPad 2. And, and I've said, well, based on 
what people are speculating it might have, which is a you know a camera um, and perhaps a bigger speaker and perhaps an improved display. I'm, I'm saying there's not that's not enough to to make me trade in my, the one I have now. No. Me neither. So I, I'm saying I'm, I'm thinking to myself I'll probably miss this generation and uh, and go for the one afterwards. That's kind of what I'm thinking. The iPad three will be significantly different and better than I, the first iPad. Then okay, now I want to upgrade, but yeah. just to get the latest and greatest. I'm I don't know, David. Maybe we're just getting to that point in our lives where like we don't need the latest and greatest. What we have is just working fine. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't get that techno lust. <laughs> But I don't know. I'm, in some respects, I'm kind of sated. I walked through, um, was it Target? I think I was in Target last night, uh, or during the day anyways. And I walked through the electronics department, as you know, you and I want to do. Yeah. And I absolutely could not find anything that I thought, I, I would like to buy that. Not one yeah. thing. I've got a nice camera at home. I've got a good computer. They don't sell Macs there anyway, so I never even bother with the computers usually. I've got a nice TV. What what else is there? Yeah. I don't get my music from a store like that. I get that online. Most yeah. of the video games I play now, I nothing's really come out on the consoles, and all the rest I buy online on my iPad or my iPhone. I it does it does kind of feel that we've reached we have reached this point. I mean, you mentioned before about 3D TVs, and, and you, you know, you, you hear that and think, wow, that's desperate. You know, that's an industry desperately trying to innovate to try and sell more product. But and they actually, just came out with the flat panels. I mean, really, it's, they're so brand yeah. new still. And the difficulty I think they have is they're reaching a point where the panels are so good um, and they're now affordable to the point that you buy one of those, and it's very difficult to say, well, you know, this is missing something. You know, compared to what a step change a, a panel was over a you know a widescreen CRT or a projection TV. Yep. I mean, it, it really is such an improvement that it's very difficult to justify saying, okay, well, all right, if I'm going to do a 56% improvement in my viewing experience, why would it, I then want to spend the same amount of money to get a 10% improvement on something like 3D? It's just very difficult, and you you, you just kind of you, you start to feel this error. I mean, you doing that same thing walking through a, a technical department of a, of a store or something like with some with some sectors and tvs is a particular one one area you start to feel this kind of air of desperation yes they're absolutely. so desperate you know let's face it if you've got hd um you know you've got a picture that that's that is so good that if you have poor eyesight <laughs> it still know, looks that good that makes a difference yes. yeah that makes a difference how, how good your eyesight is about how much better the, the picture looks um you know, I mean, it really is that clear. Then um, it's very difficult to say how, well, where where can it go from there. I mean, you can't make the things thinner. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it can only get what's so the point thin. of making it thinner from two inches to one inch. Yeah, right, I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you so can't it, really make them too much bigger either, because I mean, yeah. really, if, if sixty inches is about the biggest you really want. I mean, anything beyond yeah. that. You're talking. You need it in a boardroom, and you're not going to go to Target to buy well, that anyway. Exactly. And this this is the thing. It doesn't make sense if you're sat unless you're sat, um, you know, further than 15 feet away from a TV. Uh, it just doesn't. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have something outside. I mean, we here in the UK, we traditionally have had smaller sets than than you in the US ha- US have. Um, you know, 32 inch is kind of the entry level size for us here. I've got a 37 at home, um, but we sit probably no close no further away than eight ten feet in our in our living room to our tv because the room just isn't big enough for us to be further away than that's that. probably so, average in america as well yeah but, but but the thing is that that sort of size having it bigger than 37 inches to me doesn't make any sense because it would just you start having to move your big. entire head to watch the whole exactly. screen exactly yeah, right. you've got to you've got to get the whole thing in your field of view so our tvs our tvs at this point the people that are buying them aren't going after, oh, I have to get this TV and I have to get that TV like they were, say, five years ago. Is it my TV is starting to get a green picture and I need to replace it? Let me go see what they have. I, I think that's some of it. I mean, the, the, I, I, again, I, I can only talk about the UK market. There's probably still a, a heavy percentage of people who haven't upgraded to HD here. Uh, we don't have as much HD content available as um, 
as you do in the States. So um, there's probably people who haven't made this, the switch to panels. So there's, there's still some inertia in the market there. But I think once you have done that, unless you've, unless you've bought a really cheap, crappy panel and you think, well, I'm going to go from a, a no-name brand up to a Sony or a Panasonic or something like that, um, I don't think there's much headroom for you to go much further than that, really. So do you think that... Um, um, Unless it's unless it's unless it's features that, that that aren't really technical features like the color of the case, or the um, you know the integration, the number of uh, HDMI ports on the back, or something like, that, or, or fitting into a particular type of sound system. Um, to me, those are the things that, that that possibly might might push people along. But those are things that are only going to come up every once in a while. They're not the sort of thing that are going to make you want to change every year. No, I think right now people are that are shopping, at least here in the U.S., when they're shopping for a TV, they're looking at two things, size and price point. If one yeah. is five ninety nine for a 32 or you can get a 42 for the same price, I think people are going for that. Because yeah. at this point, they really don't see the big difference in – well, that one, okay, and this one, well, I don't know. Let's get the bigger one. It's the same price. Yeah. They don't know the difference between Vizio and Sony and Samsung and Emerson. and It, it looks good well, on the showroom floor, so they just buy the biggest they can afford. That's right. And, and you know, for I mean, in my, my own personal experience, we, we bought a, a thir- this 37-inch panel um, probably about two and a half, three years ago. It's an LCD panel. And we, we bought it because at the time we had a 32-inch CRT widescreen that was failing. And we need a new TV. And I, I said, I said to my wife at the time, I said, I'm not going to spend over a thousand pounds on, which is the going rate at that time for a, a, a name brand panel, because um, I, I said this technology is moving forward, and who knows what's going to be happening in three years' time. So we bought something that was cheap and no name. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now at, at some point, I will probably take the plunge and upgrade that to a to a, a, a branded panel with a, with a better picture quality. We kind of lucked out with it. It's actually quite a good set for the money we paid. Um, but, you know, we could probably get something that's a little bit sharper um, if I went to, to Sony or Panasonic or something like that. But I'm in no rush to do that. The one we've got now is perfectly adequate for the moment. But, you know, here's the funny uh, thing. You say it's perfectly adequate, but now if you could pluck your own self out of 1989 and plopped you in your living room and had them look at that TV, they would... Your 1986 self would think that was the greatest television in the world he's ever seen. Absolutely. So what, uh, what we consider, I mean, our standards are yeah. so unrealistically high now. Or maybe we just I, got used to good quality. I don't know. I think. Well, I think that's actually a problem for the industry is that, is that the products are so good now. It's very difficult to sell people on. I think that this is what's... Blu-ray is a good... Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because everyone I've have... talked to that has a Blu-ray player is happy with it, but then you talk to someone who's seen Blu-ray, but they haven't upgraded, and you ask them, they go, well, DVDs, the quality's good enough for me. It's Exactly. And plus, most and, and of the for, DVD for me, players out there now upscale anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. For me, with an upscaling DVD player and also a internet device that downloads 720p content, um, this, you know, the, the seven, even, even the, the, the stuff that you get through Apple TV is, is better than DVD, even if it's not full, H, full 1080 HD. So to me, that I look at that and I say, well, look, unless there's artifacts in it, that's, that's so good. Why would I want anything better? Because you know we've all heard these problems with with a badly badly done Blu-ray, where um, effectively it shows up deficiencies in the in the actual uh, quality of the making of the film. Yes, you know where all of a sudden you can see boom mics that you couldn't see before because the resolution <laughs> is so much better, or you can see the flakes in the guy's makeup, or you can see the fact that he's holding a prop rather than the thing it's meant to be, just because the quality is so much better. Um, you know, if you're getting to that that sort of level of resolution, what's the point? <laughs> you're taking yourself out of the experience by trying to put yourself further into the experience. All, almost all the movies I get nowadays, as you all know, David, are digital. I'm just yeah. as happy to buy something in as iTunes. I can't tell you the last time I bought a physical DVD. Um, the last physical disc I bought, I think, and I don't think I bought it, I think it was a gift, was uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, or something like that. Um, on Blu-ray, and that's because I have a PS3, which everyone tells me that's actually the best Blu-ray player because it's continuously upgraded. Yeah. Um, I don't. I I don't see the big deal about Blu-ray. I mean, it looks fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it's so inconvenient to have to go hunt up a disc and put it in there and turn on yet another device and go through the menus and have that waiting period and 
click through that. Oh, it's it's going to show you the FBI warnings now, and you got to sit there and wait through that. With digital, it's click, click, I'm playing it. You know, yeah, the, the convenience, I don't have to go anywhere. I can watch trailers and decide right then, oh, that's something I want to buy, and click, it's mine. That's the way it should be. And exactly. I think that um, I think Blu-ray's in major trouble. I don't think it's ever really going to get widely adopted the way DVD did. I just don't think it's going to happen. No, cause, uh, and also as well, you know, the people who, who like to collect movies – they have large collections in DVD already, yep. and they're not going. They're not going to trash all that and go to Blu-ray. It's not that, that big of a no, quality. No, it's not yeah. that big of a generational jump from DVD to Blu-ray. So with that, yeah. David, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about. Uh, we're going to get a little Mackey on the show. We're going to talk about the Macworld Expo, and we're going to talk about something that was just released for Mac users called the Mac App Store. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of Apple's iOS devices, such as the iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, and even the Apple TV, please listen to my new podcast called The Pocket Size Podcast. It's available on MyMac.com and, well, even iTunes if you search really, really hard. Anyway, it stars myself, Scott, and my co-host, Peter. And don't forget about me, your loyal and faithful Macintosh computer. You were going to mention me, weren't you? Uh, sure... Pocket Size Podcast is a MyMac.com podcast. Find it at MyMac.com. Thank you for listening. We won't forget you, the little people. You do know that if I could record and edit this entire podcast on my iPhone, I would do it, right? Ouch. That hurts. I'm going into sleep mode now. All right, David. So the App Store... The Mac App Store, we're going to have to start distinguishing the two, you know, because before we just say the App Store and we all knew you're talking about (laughs) iTunes and iOS. And now they've segmented the market even more. We have the Mac App Store. But let me first tell you, David, I'm really, really pleased that it's not part of iTunes. Thank God. Yeah, I I I saw that because I assumed it was going to be. And and I saw that and I wondered to myself, is this the – you know the beginning of of Apple starting to move away from the you know single iTunes model. Um, you know I, I do wonder whether over the uh, over the next few months and years whether we will actually see um, you know the, the those marketplaces start to segment into separate applications with different features and different capabilities. And I, I really would be pleased if if they did that because really you know iTunes is is becoming a bit of a bloat now. Yes. I agree. And I would almost kind of – I understand why it's still there, though, as far as syncing your iPad and your – because when you're plugging in your iPhone, you're going to want to sync movies to it. You're going to want to sync music to it and podcasts. And iTunes just yeah, makes sense. It it does. But the, the problem with that is that because everything is in one place, I find now that some of the content streams kind of get in the way of each other. It frustrates me that um, if I want to download my latest set of podcasts, um, if I've just plugged my iPhone and my iPad into iTunes at the same time, because it's busy doing that, it becomes more difficult to actually go and get the content off the net you want. But that just, watching, they just need to start rewriting the software from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, but, but that's the thing. I think as part of a rewrite, though, it would make some sense to segment it in some ways. into into Even if it's inside the same program, actually have different interfaces for the different parts. Because it's very frustrating at the moment that, you know, if you're watching a video in, in iTunes... Um, and there's something that's going on in the background. You might get a pop-up or you might get a stutter while it tries to process something. It's it, it's reaching that point now where it just feels like there's too much going on in the one place. And we know the computers yeah. are more than powerful enough to handle multitask exactly. like that, so it's definitely the software. Yeah. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, it, I think that the... But, but also, you know, yeah, putting putting the same interface on everything is, is starting to creak a little for me. Yeah, I agree. So we now we have the Mac App Store... And I have to say, it's very clean. Uh, it does have that iTunes Store feel to it, but it looks a little bit more thought out to me. It's just cleaner. It's not, it, we got to stick yeah. music in here and movies and software and apps, and it, it's it's just too much. It, everything, you, you got to have differences between those two types of stores. 
Whereas the Mac App yeah. Store, it's just Macintosh applications. It's kind of like browsing iPad apps on the iPad, actually. That's, that was the first thing that it kind of reminded me of when I went into it. Um, and I've not had a lot of time to, to, to dig too deeply. I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm hoping to see is improvements in the search functions compared to how they are on iTunes. And I've not really had a chance to look at that yet. Um, but it did kind of remind me of, a, you know, oh, I, this is familiar. It's like browsing apps on the iPad. There are some things that I like and some things I don't like. Now, for instance, I have Evernote already, and Evernote mm-hmm. is free in the App Store. Well, I would like to download it here from the App Store, but I'm worried, is it still going to know all the stuff that I've got in my current version, you know, all my notes? Yeah. That's kind of well, a concern. Yeah, I, I mean, Evernote in particular, that shouldn't be so much of a problem because all of that is synced up in the cloud. So True. You should be able to blow it out on your machine and, but if and then do that. But if I don't download it from the App Store, I won't get the updates when they come out no. through the App Store. And I think that's, that's kind right. of an issue. Yeah. I understand why they did it this way, but it is an issue to me. I think technically it would have been far too difficult to actually solve that problem for every application. I agree. Um, I, I, what, I, what I suggest that Apple does, though, is they put some real pressure on their developers to solve that problem. Hmm. They really, sh- you know, I mean, the, each developer should, who's moving to the App Store, should find a way of doing that, of basically saying, "Well, okay, here's a, here's a, a mechanism for migrating your app to the App Store version, which means that we guarantee we'll keep your data, um, and then you'll be in the App Store." Uh, and and that really, um, in my view, should include not making you buy it again, because at the moment, if you if for a paid app. If you wanted to buy, if you wanted to get into the App Store version so you get the upgrades and that sort of thing, you would have to actually go out and pay for it again. Yep. It won't recognize your existing licenses. And that, is a, to me, is, is going to be a little bit of a deficiency. It's going to fade over time um, as, as people, I presume anyone who's in the App Store is, is, is going to push that as their main channel. Um, and so as they release new versions and that sort of thing, that's become, going to become less of an issue. But, uh, but at the moment, you know, you have something that you've paid $20, $30 for, and then you want to get into the update cycles the App Store gives you, you've got to go out and buy it again, which is, is not ideal at all. No, I agree. Here's a question having for you. Having said that... Yep, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, having said that, I do think, you know, the App Store is a f- tremendous idea, and it, I think it's going to transform... Um, buying applications for Macs because I think there's an awful lot of people who have moved from um, other platforms to the Mac or are fairly new to the Mac who probably aren't that comfortable with um, with going out and searching the internet for applications and the fact it's all going to be in one place now and very easy to install I think it's going to it's going to go gangbusters for them. Well, it's going to come on every new Mac, a yeah, and it's very easy to install, like you said, for existing Mac users. But you know. I don't like to toot my horn, own horn too much, David, but this was an idea I had, what, two and a half, three years ago? When mm-hmm. we first learned about the App Store, I said, we need that for the Mac. I said it on the MyMac podcast. Yeah. And it's actually better than I was thinking it was going to be. Uh, but I knew this yeah. was coming. I knew that when you looked at the trajectory of Mac sales and you look at what Apple was doing with the App Store, you knew that they were going to do this for the Mac. How are they not? I mean, it's a huge installed base that they have they want to get a piece of that money don't they yeah i i I think i think they were kind of push kicking and screaming into it i really think that this was not their you know when they first came out with the ios devices this was not a way they thought they had to go i don't think they thought it was necessary and i think it it involves a level of uh, giving even though the, the the app store has been criticized by many people for for the rules and the constrictions and the and the curation that goes on i, I think i think um that was that was a, a level of of control that apple wasn't keen to give up in terms of allowing people access to their platforms and their hardware directly in that manner and i think they kind of reluctantly went that way and then were pleasantly surprised when it turned to be turned out to be you know such a differentiator and such a a way of driving their hardware sales and let's remember this is what all of this is about oh absolutely apple is laser focused on is on selling more more hardware products by having supporting software services um and this is this is going to i think it's going to 
for for the first time, there's been an incremental growth in in Mac hardware sales. I'm talking about Macs now rather than the iOS devices. Um, over the last few years, they've been creeping up from the traditional five percent up towards ten percent. I think this is going to drive a big change, and I think you'll see every other manufacturer, um, Microsoft in particular, scrambling to adopt something similar. Um, because I think it's really going to, you know, it's all about putting software into people's hands in a in an easy and convenient form. And, and more uh, than I that, there's a safety aspect, especially if you're a switcher coming from the Windows side where, you know, David, honestly, I've been a Mac user for so long. I download software willy-nilly without thinking about it. But occasionally I do get that little, I don't know, I just downloaded this yeah. from some website that I've never heard of before. Yeah. And, uh, okay, there's no Mac viruses out there, no Trojan horses and any of that crap, no malware. But, you know, there's still that little, eh, I don't know. Should I really install this? With the Mac App Store, I think that's going to alleviate those worries immediately. I mean, just you're not even going to think about it. Because you click it, you click to buy, and it jumps down into your dock. It's very kind of fun and friendly, and there it is at yours. Exactly. Yeah, and, and then it's updated for you. And, and mo- more importantly, and, and this is not something we've not really seen yet because I think it's so new, if you get a new Mac, yes, you can, you can do, use the migration tools to actually move everything over. Um, but a lot of people don't really want to do that, um, particularly if, they've, if the, the Mac they're moving from is a, is a couple of years old, might have an older version of the OS on it. Um, they actually want to start again and clear out some of the crap and, and really you know, kind of have a... Have a a, you know, a new platform to, to, to go to. But reinstalling all your apps is a pain. Yep. Um, and this solves that problem for you. And well, that if you bought the apps through the App Store. If you bought, well, which is obviously what most people you would imagine are going to do now. Absolutely. I mean, certainly if I, if I was given the, if I'm looking at an application, the first place I'm going to look is the App Store. Yep. Um, and if it's available on the web or in the App Store, I'm going to buy the App Store version because yep. I then know it's going to appear on all my Macs. Because Apple have made sure that that happens, so there's no multi-licensing issues. If if I have a a, a, a Mac App Store account on all of my Macs, then all of the applications I buy appear on all of them. And secondly, if I go to a new Mac and I've got a new Mac coming in a couple of weeks, um, I know that I can run the App Store application, and then all the stuff I've got gets downloaded to the latest version from the App Store straight away without me having to do anything. It's a one-click process. And having done lots of Mac rebuilds, I know what a pain it is. Even if you're very careful and you keep all the DMG files of all your applications, what you'll do is you go through and install them and then run them up. And the first thing it says, it says, oh, you haven't got the latest version. It will then install another one again. It yep. takes ages. Absolutely. And, and all of that's been taken away. It now becomes a one-click, leave it overnight process, and then the following morning you come down and your Mac has all your latest applications on. And, and those sort of usability functions are things that other platforms just don't have. I'll give you another one, David. And this is something that uh, I already knew about, but it really hit me while you were talking there because I'm looking at the Mac App Store. And I look at where it says accounts, and it says I've got $25.05 in my account. And I thought, hold on a minute. Oh, yeah, you know why? It's because it's accessing my iTunes account. Same account that I use to buy my movies and my music and my apps on my iPhone and iPad and it's the same account. So when I go into either the Mac App Store or iTunes and redeem a gift card, which is pretty much how I buy stuff nowadays, I'll just go buy a $50 gift card and that's what I'll use. Um, It's the same money, David. I can use it for my Mac apps now. I can use it for my iPhone, my iPad, my music, my movies. It's a one-stop shopping bonanza. And not only that as well, you can gift, because it's part of the, of the I mean, it is part of the iTunes ecosystem at yep. the back end. You can gift things to people. So you can, uh, you know, I mean, one of the frustrating things as a, as, a, as a tech fan is that a lot of the things that we want people to buy for us when they want to buy as a gift are, are things that technically they struggle to buy. You know, if I go to my parents and say to them, you know what, I'd really like a copy of Aperture. The uh, photography application, the, you know, that, that's the sort of thing that, that you know, it's a big purchase. Right. Um, it's, it's the Although sort it's of thing that, that, 
it's cheaper now because it's cheaper on the App Store, and that's that's a separate discussion. But you know, that's another bonus. Um, these apps are coming out cheaper because of the lower overheads and what have you. But it, you know, that's the sort of thing I would hesitate to go out and buy for myself because it's a big ticket item. And yet, it's the sort of thing I could say to a loved one at, the, at a birthday or a special time. I'd like that as a gift. Now, if I say to my parents, who you know, God love them, you know, they're in the sixties. Uh, if I say to them, I'd like a copy of Aperture for my Mac, they've they've got first of all they've got to write down what it is, <laughs> and they're going to be unsure about what it is. Then they've got to go to an apps Apple store and they've got to buy it, and then they've got to get it to me. And it's a it's a big hassle that they don't really want. Nope. Um, and, and you and, don't you know, want to put them in. I don't want to put them through that. And at the same time, I don't want to say to them, well, just give me the money. Because that's, that's a, it's a, it's a impersonal way of buying a gift. Now, what I can do to them is I can say to them, this is what I would like. Here, I'll send you a link to, to gift it to me. Yep. And all they need to do is click on the link I give them, feed in credit card details and an email address, and then I have that. And then I can show it to them and say, well, this is the gift you bought me. It makes... Buying applications, buying software, a much more personal experience for people who aren't necessarily technically orientated. And I think that is, is going to really, you know, buoy up the software market. I think it's going to be huge for developers out there. Um, we've covered a couple of the main things. A, it's going to be much easier to find anything, uh, especially games. Most people yeah. don't think of the Mac as a big gaming platform. But heck, you go into games on the App Store here, the Mac App Store, and there's tons of them. Um, and a lot of them right now, honestly, Del David, look like iOS parts to the Mac, which well, when, when you yeah, think about are. it. But it was just the opposite before. When it the, was. You know, yeah. All the first really good, decent games were ports from other platforms to iOS. Now they're porting iOS to the Macintosh. It's, hmm... But it, it's it's another it's another way of um, experiencing some of that software. I mean, the the first one of the first things I bought last night when I uh, installed uh, the Mac App Store was actually Angry Birds, which is a, a particular love of mine. And I have to tell you, it's it's a different game playing it on a on an iMac with Fun, a mouse. Better or worse? Uh, yeah, because you can really see what's going on. Well, I mean, it, it, obviously it's going to vary from game to game, but one of the fun things about Angry Birds is the, the level of precision involved to actually get the, if you want to get the highest score on each level, you actually need to land those birds in exactly the right place to actually, uh, you know, limit the number of shots you take. And it's a lot easier to, I mean, it, it's one of the things is better about the iPad version over the iPhone version is it's a lot easier with a bigger screen to actually do that. And on a 20-inch iMac, let me tell you, it was, um, you know, it was like pinpoint accuracy. It was like going from, uh, from playing the game through binoculars through to actually being right in front of the map. Okay, um, this is weird. So it, it brings a dimension to it, you know. And, and over time, obviously, rather than pausing games back and forth, developers, I would hope, will be actually looking at the benefits of each platform and saying, well, here, here's how we can enhance the gameplay between each three, each three of the platforms, the iPhone, the iPad, and then the Mac by actually capitalizing on the, um, the benefits of each, of each interface and screen size. Here's something strange, David, and I don't know if... Uh, I'm not sure if you're seeing the so same software as I am or if it's, you know... I'm not sure how that's working yet internationally. But yesterday, as I was looking through the Mac App Store, I saw Harry Potter Lego mm. and, uh, from uh, Feral Interactive. Well, I'm looking forward to this game, and I know I'm going to get a free copy because they send me every new Feral game because I do reviews of them. <laughs> In fact, I just did yeah. the, the Feral Interactive's uh, Star Wars Lego game yeah. for, for my Mac. So I thought, oh, I'm looking forward to getting that. But then I saw it on the Mac App Store yesterday, and I thought, wow, it's already up there. That's pretty cool. Well, I just went up there. It's gone now. Mm. I don't know what's going on with that. It just disappeared out of the mac app store i knew it was there because i'd seen i'd seen some news articles about it yeah well i, I saw it in there and it's just not there right now so it's like it was pulled or something here's a question though and i'm looking at um i'm looking at some of these apps david and i'm thinking i know what the developers were charging for their apps before and i've got a pretty good idea how many people were buying their apps, which is to say not – compared to the iOS, nobody was buying it, okay? 
Not yeah. nobody, but an insignificant number compared to the the number of people that were buying stuff for iOS. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking some of these developers need to rethink their pricing practices. For instance, I'm looking at Photo Magical 3 and it's 28.99 on the Mac App Store. Um that needs to come down in price. I mean, it's a good app, don't get me wrong. But who the hell is going to spend $30 for that when it's sitting right next to stuff that's 3.99 and 2.99 and 9.99 and 19.99? I mean, that price jumps out at you like, "Whoa, hey, wait a minute." And yes, it's it's yeah. an it's an awesome game or it's an awesome uh photography app, but really $30? Especially when Aperture is seventy nine ninety nine, I think that a well, lot of these companies really yeah. need to figure out a pricing structure that's a uh, going to allow them to sell enough copies to make up for the lower price, and b is going to be attractive people like you and I who I'm not going to hesitate at nine ninety nine or lower, but David at twenty eight ninety nine, I'm going to start reading some reviews out there before I even consider it. Absolutely, and, and, and I mean that. Well, there's there's a couple of aspects to that. Obviously, this is all very new. Uh, we imagine that the thing is going to be very successful, um, and given that Apple is giving you that iOS style marketplace on every Mac they sell, effectively they are promoting your app for you. You would imagine that that should give people much more volume than just having their own website. Yep. And that volume should allow them to bring prices down. Um, you, but you do bring up an important second point there, which is the competition. You are competing with all the other apps in the App Store in your segment. Yep. Um, and that is good. That it's got to drive prices down because even if even if Photomagico, as an example, decide that they're going to brazen it out and say, well, you know, we think our app is worth, um, you know, forty percent of the price of Aperture. It's that good. Yeah. The, the point is, is the App Store is open to anybody. Anybody who can code now has now has. Uh, now can concentrate on being a coder and not being an app promoter because Apple is doing that for them. And you know, I the think you marketplace is there. Yep. And they're, yeah, they're doing all the web transactions, they're doing all the credit card stuff, all the stuff that's actually, if you think about it, as a developer, you know, if in the in times gone past, you either had to, to side with the studio or you had to figure out how to do all of that stuff yourself. And all of that stuff is not trivial. So now you don't have to do that. So you can concentrate on, you know, building your own app if you're a decent coder that maybe knocks Photomagico out of the park out of the park in terms of giving the same features. And you're going to say, oh, if they're at twenty eight ninety nine, I can do it for ten dollars. Exactly. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna compete directly with them. Beyond now, that, though, David, it's going to drive prices down. Though. Here's what I also see is going to happen. I think more people are going to start buying software on the Mac App Store using those gift cards that you buy at the store. I think yeah. a lot of people. I think a lot of people do that. That's why they put the redeem thing right up there towards the top, because I think that the regular app store, the iOS app store, showed that people are going to start buying because they can buy those gift cards. They can buy apps. They can buy movies. They can buy whatever. But it's that dollar amount. It's right there in their window. They know how much they have. And I'll give you myself as a prime example. I've got twenty five oh five in my account right now. If I go in, I think, you know what, I want to buy a game or two. And I go in here and I start looking at games. I've got Unsolved Mysteries something. They've made the name so long it doesn't fit in the thing. I wonder if I open this wider, will it help? Yeah, well, Unsolved, no, it still still cuts it off. Stupid. Shorter names, developers, shorter names. Uh, but anyways, whatever it is, it's $9.99. Success Story, $6.99. Black Ink. Which looks kind of like a crossword puzzle type of thing, twenty four ninety nine. Well, guess which one is immediately ruled out. Yeah, the expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but if I go down, Victory March a dollar ninety nine. Age of Tribes a dollar ninety nine. Spell Stacker two ninety nine. Solitaire a dollar ninety nine. You know, Guns of yeah. Icarus. Four ninety nine. I could buy all of those applications I just said in the last ten seconds for the yeah. same price that and cheaper than I could have got this black ink for twenty four ninety nine. They really it's need to start adjusting their prices. 
Yeah, they do. But it's gonna, it is going to be interesting to see whether some of the, you know, the real shovelware that started appearing in the iOS stores um, appears for the Mac platforms as well. Because, I mean, that in, uh, for some people, and, and sometimes you can see a slightly higher price as a mark of quality, you know, that um, there's somebody who's charging six ninety nine, ten ninety nine, fifteen ninety nine for a, an application, presumably does so because the, the the application can justify that sort of pricing. Right. Whereas so, sometimes, you know, you pick something up for certainly on the on the iOS device, you pick something up for fifty nine p ninety nine cents or something, and one of the reasons it's it's down at that bottom price is just because it's just junk. Well, here's you know, the thing. A lot of, what you know, the what the Mac app the stuff. right? What the Mac app store is it matured shareware to a whole new level? Yeah, it just matured the entire industry. Yeah, and 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 and, and I think it will be the entire industry. I think this will become the model for um, software going forward. And in fact, so it would not surprise me if um, over the next year or two you find, I mean, software in, in Apple retail stores is already a bit of a niche, yep. but if you actually find all the non-Apple stuff completely disappears um, and effectively they promote the uh, the App Store more. Um, and, and let's face it, I mean, if they wanted to sell, if I were Apple, uh, if you look at their applications now that the, uh, currently contain physical boxes and, and, and valuable shelf space in their stores, I'd be already be planning for saying, actually, we're going to clear all those boxes and, and CDs out. And what we're going to sort of sell, sell is gift cards that allow you to buy just that application. Yep. So if you want to buy Aperture, you go into the re- – if you want to buy a physical product, you go to the retail store and they sell you a card that says Aperture on it and has a, a code that allows you to get Aperture directly off the Mac App Store. Would but make I don't sense. think they'll be selling the CDs much longer. Nope. I totally agree with you. So before we wrap up the show, we do have a little bit of uh, news that we need to talk about. Now, obviously, we'll have a couple more shows before the Macworld Expo happens. Uh, but speaking about the Macworld Expo, David, I know you won't be there this year, which is a bummer. No. Uh, yes. I will be there, but in, uh, I'll be with Guy Searle. He's going to be there. And we're actually going to do a joint <laughs> a joint tech fan mymac.com podcast um, on the Macworld Live stage, uh, that's booth 752, on Saturday, which is the 29th of January, uh, noon to 1 p.m. So that'll be fun. And, of course, we'll have more information as we get closer up on the website. Um, I'm actually arriving in San Francisco uh, the previous Tuesday. So the 25th, uh, I'll be in San Francisco. Now, the expo is the 27th, 28th, and 29th. So I've got a couple days in San Francisco before it actually starts. So if anybody out there is listening, if you're going to be in San Francisco for the Macworld Expo and you get in early, hey, drop us a line. Guy and I would love to hook up with you. We're also going to have uh, Owen Rubin is going to be there, and I know Mark Rudd's going to be there. So we've got at least four MyMac staffers that's going to be um, shoes on the ground, boots on the ground, however you want to say it, covering the Macworld Expo. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of coverage, and we're going to have a podcast every day, probably stay, starting on Wednesday right on through Saturday. We're going to have a tech fan and a MyMac podcast. So we're going to do two different shows every day. And Guy and I will cool. probably hang out quite a bit. We'll get Owen and Mark involved in the shows, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's realistically just over two weeks away, David, so it's not a lot of time between now and then. Yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting, actually. I mean, there's a obviously we're, you know, we're looking forward to Macworld. We're expecting um, at some point over the next few weeks Apple to, to start saying something about products for this year. Um, the, you know, the MacBook Pros haven't been updated for, for a good long while. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, Apple has has been f- uh, fairly successful with with the MacBook Air. It looks like it's uh, selling very well. So, it'll be interesting to see what they take from that line and put into the Pros. Um, obviously, there's quarterly results that are due soon as well. So, really, it's going to be a very busy time for uh, for Apple news over the next few weeks. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, looking at the wider tech fan agenda, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what the fallout from CES is and and how people respond to what Apple are doing over the next few months as well. So um, I, I think it's going to be pretty much a, a, a you know a fairly exciting year for tech. I think so. Um, and I think and, we're uh, very well pro- positioned, David, to really talk about it. You know what I was thinking? Um, and this came to me the other day. 
there could be times, David, that I don't have to be on TechFan if you ever want to host a show with somebody else, do an interview or something, and the time yeah. isn't convenient for me. I'm happy to take a, a back seat that week and, and have you run with a tech fan. So keep that in mind. And I did it publicly, so the pressure's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and also as well, like, you know, I, I mean, you, you already mentioned about people who want to podcast. But uh, if there's any listeners who want to guest on the show, um, that's something we've done successfully in the past. That's something that's always an interest to talk to somebody new and get their perspective and, you know, maybe uh, – Maybe talk about things they don't agree with that we've said, or, or uh, different different views on on um, you know what they see from their personal experience. You know, we've got listeners all around the world who who see things very differently from the way um, it may come out from the, from the shows and from the tech press and that sort of thing. It's always good to get uh, a different view, different perspective. Absolutely, you know, dev- anybody from users to developers to whoever. I mean, we just like to get people on the show and talk. That's what we really enjoy doing here, probably more than anything else. It's just talking back and forth. It's fun. We enjoy it. And it's obviously on subjects that we uh, don't always agree on, but can have an intelligent conversation about. And that's the appeal to me, David. Definitely. Definitely. So we're going to be at the Macworld Expo from the uh, 25th through the 29th. If you want to get a hold of me, it's tim at mymac.com. If you want to call the show and leave a message, we'll play it right here on the show. Our phone number is 1-801-938-5559. If I remember, I'll put it in the show notes, and you can find that at mymac.com under techfan number 13. But uh, we need to wrap it up, David. I need to get out of here. I know you need to get out of there. Um, Yep. Happy New Year, man. Yeah, and to you and to the listeners. Um, I hope everyone got... uh got everything they wanted over the holiday season in terms of technical products. I, I, I do know a couple of couple of guys here where I work who've been missing for the last couple of weeks, and I've got it on good authority that at least one of them um, has taken some holiday time so he can uh, get some quality time without the children in front of his uh, Microsoft <laughs> Connect. So, <laughs> I think they monopolized it over the holiday period, and now they've gone back to school. He's looking to, uh, to get some quality game time in himself. Been there, done so, that. Uh, it's always it's always good to get some time to play with the toys on your own. It sure is. Um, so so that's good. And and yeah, looking forward to see what comes out the shows over the next couple of weeks. I think you guys are going to like it as an audience. And if you want to join us again, get a hold of us. Tim at mymac dot com. Could find me on Twitter at mymac. Where are you at on Twitter, David? Uh, I'm uh, at David B Cohen on Twitter, and uh, I have been putting the effort in to do a bit more tweeting over the last few few weeks. So um, I've noticed. You'll see, yeah, you'll see. And I've done less. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more thing before we wrap it up. Um, yep. And this is still early in the planning stages, but we're looking at starting, yep, I know, yet another show, but this is going to be totally different than anything we do. We're looking at starting a, it's going to be called My Mac Live, and it's going to happen either once or twice a month, probably starting sometime late spring, a live show in Chicago, Illinois, at the Mac Specialist Store, um, on Wells Street, 500 North Wells. And this is going to be something we're going to do right in the window so the, the crowds walking by in downtown Chicago can see us. We're looking at bringing in some developers that are in the Chicago area. Um, it's going to be outside of the MyMac podcast. In other words, it's not necessarily a MyMac.com podcast, but it's going to be a show, MyMac Live, that's part of the MyMac network that's literally going to be live uh, probably Ustream or something like that. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun, David. I mean, a lot of people yeah. visit Chicago, so there's a lot of people listening to the show realistically can actually come and watch the show and get get on the show live. I think it'd be and, fun. And I, fo- I find myself thinking, hmm, I've never been to Chicago myself. Good reason to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. Look forward to that. Just an idea so far. We're still. I got to talk to the boss at Max. Oh wait, I am the boss. Um, <laughs> it's just if I'm going to do it, I want to make sure there's a commitment there. And I've got yeah, some very absolutely. talented people, especially in the Chicago store right now. I just we've got a brand new team in there, and um, the two cool. these two guys in particular, I think, would be fantastic in front of a camera and on a mic. So. I don't know. I think it would yep. be a lot of fun. Talk about Macs and technology and do it live. And you could actually see the people in Chicago and right behind us. I think that would be pretty neat. So just throwing it out there. If uh, anybody out there has an idea about that, let me know. I'm, I'm all ears. 
<laughs> I need Very help. Cool. I've got way too much on my plate, David. Ugh. All right. I'm going to wrap up the show. Uh, make sure you guys check out our other shows, the MyMac Podcast. Chad and I are hoping to get back together maybe this week, but probably next, and do another geekiest show ever. David, of course, you're always welcome on that show as well, uh, since yep. you're one of the original geekiest guys. Uh, the MyMac <laughs> <laughs> the My Mac Show. And don't forget... At Minute. Say, or, by the way, David, I don't know if you knew, but we've got new people doing the At Minute podcast. So if you ever want to record on your iPhone or however a two-minute little podcast about a certain app that you like, you're more than welcome to contribute to the At Minute podcast as well. So there you go. I have yeah, I have several in mind, actually, that, that I do want to talk about. So uh, I'll definitely be doing that. It's a better venue, I think, for small apps than a tech fan or a MyMac. I mean, it's, it's your in, you're out. It's a show. So yeah. we'll see everyone in a week. And uh, any idea what we're talking about in a week from now, David? We don't know, do we? Uh, no. No, no idea. <laughs> That's a level of planning we don't do around here. No. Pl- planning? <laughs> planning? All right. <laughs> see you later. See ya.